This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you trust yourself? Whether you're facing a big decision, want to make a change in your life, or you're trying to plan for the future, Best Foundation is knowing you can count on yourself. Therapy can help you build that self-reliance, so you're prepared for anything. Give it a try today at betterhelp.com super. Hey, brother. Okay, guys, no matter how incompetent he may be, it cannot be underestimated just how important to the overall story it is when Peter Pettigrew escapes at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban. It's actually one of those moments that I even feel like inside of the book text itself, it's incredibly difficult to register with the characters how impactful this is going to end up being. If Harry and company had just been a bit more careful in how they were magically subduing Peter before exiting the Whomping Willow, so much could have been avoided. Because if Peter doesn't escape that night, then he never goes in, finds Voldemort, and starts nursing him back to health. In addition to that, Sirius is easily cleared as innocent. Peter is the one who would end up going back to Azkaban, and Harry could go and start to live with his godfather. Heck, maybe even Cornelius Fudge starts to realize that him and the Ministry are capable of mistakes and has more of an open mind as they move forward in the story. Okay, that last one, a little bit of a stretch, but the point is the ramifications of this particular situation are huge. But also the fact that Wormtail has even made it to that very moment is kind of shocking because for the past year, he has been up against a very capable adversary. I speak, of course, of Crookshanks the cat. Crookshanks was on to Peter basically from the word go and always knew that there was more to Scabbers the rat than met the eye. And while it may feel just a little bit ridiculous that the pets of Harry's best friends play such an impactful role on the overall story, the simple fact is that they do. And not the least of which is the friction that it causes amongst their ranks between Hermione and Ron. I mean, for the owner of that smelly old shoe brush. But after Crookshanks meets up with Sirius in the Forbidden Forest at Hogwarts, it is pretty much on from that point forward. Crookshanks, to his credit, makes multiple attempts at Wormtail's life and is just always coming up a little bit short, which is pretty embarrassing if you ask me. I mean, you're like a half magical cat and this is a pretty out of shape rat. Come on, dude. But the real question is, what happens if Crookshanks is successful in this particular mission? Does he go on to be the most unsung cat hero of all time, doing more to prevent the rise of Voldemort than Harry could have ever asked for? And if this does happen, would anyone even ever realize that Scabbers was in fact, Wormtail. And if that's the case, what does that mean for Sirius? Today we find out, what if Crookshanks killed Wormtail? Stick around to the end of the video for a special new announcement from Carlin Brothers Mercantile. Oh my gosh, Crookshanks, Crookshanks, Crookshanks. You really almost ruined everything for Voldemort, didn't you? Upon Hermione purchasing her cat in year three, he is almost immediately a problem for Ron's rat, Scabbers, who, let's face it, was already having kind of a tough time and looking pretty sick. I mean, when you're a rat, it's never great news when your owner's best friend goes out and buys a cat. But for Scabbers, it's extra bad news because Crookshanks isn't just a cat. He's also half Neasel. Neasels, if you don't know, within the world of Harry Potter, are cat-like creatures that are able to detect suspicious or untrustworthy people, which sounds incredibly helpful and useful, although as purebreds are a little bit too aggressive to be kept around people. However, being half Neasel, Crookshanks is mostly just an ordinary cat, although does still have the ability to suss out half-rat people, aka 
Scabbers. Scabbers. Combine that with the fact that Crookshanks then goes on to befriend Sirius Black in dog form, who confirms all of Crookshanks' suspicions and also tells him that Wormtail is responsible for the death of the Potters. Gosh, if you have not read these books and you're hearing me say all these words, it must sound like utter nonsense. But also then why would you have clicked on this video in the first place? Welcome anyway! But the fact that Scabbers slash Wormtail would have been responsible for the death of the Potters would be even more impactful for Crookshanks because it's also entirely possible that Crookshanks used to belong to the Potters. And what all that would lead to is just a really stressful year for a little old Peter. Also, there is quite a bit of evidence to the idea that Crookshanks did once belong to the Potters. If you'd like to check it out, you can do so by clicking the card. Nonetheless though, even with all of the odds stacked against them, Peter does still manage to make it through most of the school year. Although there are several attempts and one moment in particular where everyone is fairly certain that Crookshanks is in fact successful in his attacks. It's right after the Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw Quidditch match where Harry has won, Ron and Hermione seem like they're going to set aside their differences and be friends again, when suddenly Ron discovers blood in his sheets alongside several ginger cat hairs. Normally this would suggest that the best, I mean worst, has happened and that Crookshanks has in fact killed Scat. Normally what has actually happened here though is that Scabbers is just trying to frame Crookshanks for his death so that he can run away to Hagrid's hut apparently. But this moment right here feels like as good a place as any to inject our what if for the day and tweak the circumstances just a little bit. So again, we pause to ask the question, what if this is just actually Crookshanks taking another pass at Scabbers' life? And in this case, just is successful. The question almost immediately raises other questions like what does happen if you kill someone who is currently in Animagus form? What I mean by that is would Scabbers transform back into Peter under these circumstances or would he just be in rat form in death. And the explanation for this one took a bit of searching, but we did find something in the existing canon that might guide us on what would happen under these circumstances. We have to fast forward to Half-Blood Prince where Narcissa and Bellatrix have arrived at Spinner's End to visit Snape at his house. The harsh cry startled the fox, now crouching almost flat in the undergrowth. It leapt from its hiding place and up the bank. There was a flash of green light, a yelp, and the fox fell back to the ground, dead. The second figure turned over the animal with its toe. Just a fox, said the woman's voice dismissively from under the hood. I thought perhaps an or. This is really as close as we ever get to an explanation as to what might happen if you are killed while in form. But the fact that Bellatrix expects something to happen after killing the fox suggests that you would in fact return to human form if you died in Animagus form. In fact, we even have a little bit more evidence that might suggest that even just being in significant pain might actually cause you to also return to that human form as well. Again, if we go back to Prisoner of Azkaban when Lupin in werewolf form attacks Sirius in dog form. We know that as a dog, Sirius gets bit pretty badly and retreats to the edge of the lake, yelping. Harry follows the sounds of the howling where he finds Sirius back in human form as the Dementors are starting to swirl around them. And Sirius transforming back here seems like it would be a bad idea given the fact that while he's a dog, he's actually able to skirt the effects of the Dementors. Either way though, all I'm really trying to say is that if Crookshanks did in fact attack and kill Scabbers while in the boys' dormitory in Gryffindor Tower, then it would have been quite the sight for 
for Ron to discover when he got back. Because rather than discovering some blood and cat hair, he would have found a dead human stranger. But he wouldn't be a stranger for long, would he? Because I think alarm bells would go off immediately and both Dumbledore and McGonagall would probably recognize him right away, having taught him themselves. Also, Lupin and Snape would definitely both be on scene as well. And Lupin was literally one of his best friends and Snape just went to school with him. And so from there, the question is, would everyone be able to deduce out the fact that Sirius had been framed for the murder of Peter Pettigrew all those years ago. And honestly, yes, I think so. Lupin actually says it best. I must admit, Peter, I have difficulty in understanding why an innocent man would want to spend 12 years as a rat. Lupin would also be able to reveal the fact that Peter had secretly become an animagus so that they could all sneak out of the castle at night with Lupin during his werewolf spells. At which point I also feel like they'd very easily be able to realize the connection between Peter having a missing finger on his hand and the fact that Scabbers was also missing a finger. And, and the only thing that they ever did find of Peter at the crime scene when Sirius supposedly killed him was of course, his finger. And, and, and at this point in the story, Sirius would have also attempted to break into the Gryffindor common room the night that he slashed the portrait of the fat lady. And now that everybody is connecting the rest of the dots, it would be pretty clear that the true target that night was Peter and not Harry. Lupin would of course also be able to reveal the fact that Sirius has the ability to turn into a dog, which then Harry would be able to connect the dots on why he kept seeing the Grimm everywhere and the fact that the dog is actually friends with Crookshanks. So to answer our original question, yes, I think it is very likely they would be able to figure out the fact that Peter had framed Sirius. The other really interesting part of all this is the fact that it would be happening a bit earlier in the year than is typical. So I think newspaper headlines would be everywhere saying Sirius Black is innocent and Peter Pettigrew's body was found. From there, I think that the Dementors would be able to leave the castle and Harry would actually have a kind of normal finish to his school year for the first time ever. Actually, he'd also even probably be looking forward to going home for summer for the first time because now he would be going to live with his godfather, Sirius. Or is he? One of the rules that we have about the what if averse, if you will, is that prophecies always have to happen, which means that during that fateful divination exam, Professor Trelawney would still have her premonition. His servant has been chained these 12 years. Tonight before midnight, the servant will break free and set out to rejoin his master. The Dark Lord will rise again with his servant's aid, greater and more terrible than ever before. Tonight before midnight, the servant will set out to rejoin his master. <coughs> That hurts my voice. <laughs> now, this prophecy is obviously typically about Wormtail, but believe it or not, there's actually someone else that it could still apply to. This is very similar to how the fact that the prophecy about Harry that suggests that he is the chosen one could have been about either Harry or Neville. The same is actually true this time around as well. The prophecy could apply to someone else. In this case, Barty Crouch Jr. Now for Wormtail, the word chained is obviously a direct reference to the fact that he is existing in rat form for that entire time. But incredibly, while it has been 13 years since Barty Crouch Jr. was sent to Azkaban for his crimes, his parents broke him out one year later. And at this point, he was imprisoned inside of his own mind via the Imperious Curse and his father for, you guessed it, 12 
years. That is until the news of Peter Pettigrew, a fellow Death Eater, was found dead in the halls of Hogwarts Castle. And I think it would be this particular piece of information that would finally be enough to give Barty Crouch Jr. the extra edge that he needs to break free of the imperious curse he's placed under by his father. And you can be absolutely certain that he would be aware of this information, given the fact that Barty Crouch Sr. is just a senior official at the Ministry of Magic. But even if he did somehow manage to not let this information slip in front of his son, it would just again be in all the papers. And on the whole, I actually feel like this entire turn of events would be so cool from a reader's perspective because we would end Prisoner of Azkaban with this riddle, this prophecy, where we wouldn't know who it was actually referring to. That is not for a full year and book later when you discover the twist at the end of Goblet of Fire and the fact that Mad-Eye Moody has been Barty Crouch Jr the whole time. But before we get there, it would of course also be very important for Harry to report this premonition of Professor Trelawney's to Professor Dumbledore, who would then have some rather unfortunate news if you're Harry, which would be the requirement for Harry to return to the Dursleys over the summer instead of going to live with Sirius. No one could have been happier than me to discover you could go and live a happy life with Sirius. However, while I have long suspected Voldemort would return someday, his imminent return places your life at too great a risk. And while I'm sure you won't be pleased with me, it's important you know that there is nowhere safer for you to be than with your aunt and uncle. This would of course be in reference to the Bond of Blood charm that Dumbledore placed on Harry when Petunia accepted him into their home. Which means as long as Harry can still call Privet Drive home, Voldemort cannot touch him there. Harry only has to return once a year to keep the charm in effect, but it's only in effect while he's there. So it's not like he can just stop by for a single day and be protected anywhere else. Granted, even under these conditions, Harry is still permitted leave from the Dursleys, like when he goes to the Quidditch World Cup or goes and lives at the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix a year later. But I think the key difference is the fact that Harry never truly sees those places as home. The burrow is Ron's house, if you will. In fact, I'm almost certain that this must be the case on purpose because there is absolutely no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Molly 100% would have offered to just take Harry in to live with them. And as for the headquarter of the Order of the Phoenix, while it may feel more like home to him than Privet Drive is, it's still never his actual house. Well, that is until Sirius dies and gives it to him, in which case it in fact is his actual house. But if he's just living with Sirius, his known godfather, at that same house, I absolutely think that Harry would think of it as home. And I do think that would ultimately break the protection, which while sad is probably necessary given the fact that Harry is, you know, the chosen one and all. I am the chosen one. And guys, we need to pause right there to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor, Better Help. I wanna ask you guys a little bit of a tough question. How much time do you spend a week on yourself versus how much time you spend each week on others? Does it seem balanced? Because if I had to guess, or even for myself, I bet it isn't. But don't worry, because that's actually true for most people. It's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs for you and hard to make time for yourself. And if you're spending all of your time giving, then you might start to feel a little bit burnt out. And that is where therapy can come into play because it gives you time to balance yourself out. Guys, I have personally benefited so much from therapy. And one of the other really unexpected ripple effects was that me going myself actually opened the door for many of my family members to try and get out for themselves. And they too were very surprised at how much they benefited from it. It is really time that you can dedicate and set aside to focus on you, what your needs are and how you're going to fulfill them. And it really ends up being so beneficial when we take care of ourselves because what it really ends up doing 
doing at the end of the day is also equipping you to take care of the others in your life that much better as well. So taking that time for yourself is just so important. And if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, I can highly recommend BetterHelp. It's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So if you're easing your way into therapy for the very first time, it's a great way to feel that much more comfortable. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. So I encourage you to find balance in your life with BetterHelp by heading over to betterhelp.com super to get 10% off your first month. One more time, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash super. Link is in the description down below. The other real piece of fun though here would be watching Dumbledore and everyone else try to figure out who the servant that would return to Voldemort was. But who would actually meet those requirements that are spoken of in the prophecy? Like surely anybody who's currently residing in Azkaban prison, but once they didn't leave prison that night, they'd pretty much need to be ruled out. So then who could it be? Like potentially Snape, who you could argue has been imprisoned by working at Hogwarts under Dumbledore's thumb? Or could it be Karkaroff, the one who named names of other Death Eaters and he's imprisoned by the fear of that betrayal? The 12 year piece of the equation could certainly narrow the search rather considerably, but I still don't think anybody would ever even suspect Barty Crouch Jr. And that's for two different reasons. The first is that if he was in fact still at Azkaban prison, he would have been there for 13 years, not 12. And two, he's believed to have died within the walls of the prison itself. So I don't even think he'd really be a part of the discussion at all. But I think once you get the whole picture, everything would click neatly into place. Also, not for nothing, but just a total aside here, I found it amazing that Barty Crouch Jr. still fits the necessary requirements for the prophecy in the existing canon. Like if this is what had just actually happened and I wasn't just rewriting the story myself, I would have been like, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, they they snuck him out one year later. That's, a, that's fixing that plot hole, isn't it? But no, literally the prophecy could have referred to Barty Crouch from the beginning. It always worked. But also all of this brings into question what is happening for Harry during the summer between his third and fourth years? And what is Sirius up to? Because now he's just free to jaunt about however he pleases. I suspect mainly he begins watching the signs as per usual alongside Dumbledore, meaning watching out for any potential Death Eater activity, but in this case would have a lot more range and ability to do so. And he almost definitely comes to the Quidditch World Cup with the Weasleys and Harry because why not? Some other things will also be different at the Quidditch World Cup as well. For example, I don't think that Barty Crouch Jr. would cast the Dark Mark because he just would have escaped a lot earlier in the timeline. So on the whole, he just wouldn't be there. That said, I think that the Death Eaters would be up to their usual havoc after the match. The big difference this go round is that Sirius would be present and would have the knowledge of Trelawney's prophecy. And watching for signs of Death Eater activity would certainly include seeing people in Death Eater masks rise muggles into the air unwillingly. Sirius being serious though would of course immediately jump into action hoping to apprehend any of the Death Eaters that could have been referenced in the prophecy, which realistically could be any of them and also none of them because the Death Eaters who are wreaking havoc at the Quidditch World Cup don't actually know about the prophecy or the return of Voldemort themselves. They're just being jerks. But from Sirius's point of view, he knows that Voldemort is returning and here are Death Eaters. So Sirius springs into action and the group scatters. Sirius takes chase and lo and behold, captures none other than Lucius Malfoy. Really like to think that no matter what, under all circumstances, when Sirius and Lucius encounter each other, Sirius punches him in the face. In fact, 
Let's play the tape again. Anyway, he probably says something like this. I should have known it would be you, Malfoy, nursing the Dark Lord back to health. He lets out his barking laugh. Tell me how you'd call that mansion of yours a prison. But not to worry, you'll learn the true meaning in Azkaban with the Dementors. Before Sirius can apprehend Lucius though, Lucius disapparates. And despite Sirius's account of what's happened, the ministry doesn't apprehend Lucius. Lucius did just happen to spend the entire evening as Fudge's guest to the Quidditch World Cup. But also Sirius has just made Fudge look awfully foolish just in the past few months. But the real ramifications are that Sirius inadvertently through his accusation has now let Lucius know that Voldemort is in fact on the mend and prompts him to go looking for him. Thus, Lucius is able to track down both Voldemort and Barty Crouch Jr. and join their regime. But that's as far as that group will grow for the time being as Voldemort doesn't want word to spread until he's back to full strength. But with the extra hand available now to help out and all of the ministry pull that Lucius possesses, the typical plan from Goblet of Fire starts to take place. Because again, due to those connections, Lucius himself just knows that the tournament is about to happen. And as such, once again, Barty Crouch Jr. is able to assume the identity of Mad-Eye Moody, an appointment to the Defense Against the Dark Arts position that he would probably know about again because of his connections at the Ministry. I'm gonna be real with you guys, having Lucius is way more beneficial than torturing Bertha Jorkins. But also speaking of the Triwizard Tournament, it again still in fact does happen and Harry's name is again entered under a fourth school, so it is again chosen. Harry Potter. Interestingly though, this go around Harry will actually just have Sirius at his disposal to help him without any sneaking around necessary. Meaning Harry's actually gonna have a lot of help preparing for each of the tasks. In fact, we even know that in the original story, Sirius was attempting to explain to Harry to go for the dragon's eyes because they are its weak point. And this is exactly what Cedric ends up doing. So I have a feeling this go round, that's how Harry defeats the first task. As for the second task, there's almost no situation where Sirius just doesn't know about Gillyweed or the Bubblehead charm himself. But even if he doesn't somehow know about those, we we know that Sirius is an Animagus and incredibly accomplished at Transfiguration and can probably guide Harry on doing some version of animal transfiguration like Crumb does. A goldfish! One other huge change that I could definitely see happening is Harry's date to the Yule Ball. One of the things that happens in the main story that's actually really sad in my opinion is the fact that he doesn't have anybody to go to to ask advice about girls. But this time around, he would have Sirius, who, let's face it, is probably a pretty good resource. Although possibly not, because I've always sort of assumed that Sirius maybe secretly was in love with James. Or as I like to call them by their couple name, Sames. Samesies. Can you imagine them going to a ball together and realizing they wore the same tuxedo and being like, Samesies. We are off track. The point is, I like to imagine that if he had anybody to give him just a little bit of extra confidence that Harry would have asked Cho to the ball sooner and she would have in fact said yes. Cedric probably then would have had to go by himself and Harry would have had some zingers like, oh, going stag, huh? You should see my Patronus. <laughs> Harry just way more bro under this circumstance. Again, I'm off track. Harry goes to the Yule Ball with Cho. And in fact, I think they have a great time and Harry actually really looks forward to going. And personally, I'm actually really happy about this particular change because I always felt like for as long as Harry had a crush on Cho, they never really had a chance to even have just like a happy little relationship, even just for a little while. But back to the tournament. One of the other big ways that Harry having access to Sirius that affects Cedric is the fact that Sirius is in fact a good mentor and Barty Crouch Jr. doesn't need to do as much like subverted guidance of Harry along the way. As a result, Barty Crouch Jr. is able to put in way more time sabotaging Harry's main competition otherwise. 
Cedric. The end result is that by the time they make it to the maze, Harry has quite a head start going in. The surprisingly good news here, if you're Cedric, is that I do think that Harry just ends up making it to the cup first without him, meaning Cedric doesn't grab the handle at the same time and doesn't go to the graveyard and isn't killed. But the rest of the graveyard scene goes down about how you might expect, except instead of Wormtail being there waiting for him, it's going to be Lucius, meaning that Lucius is going to be the one who ends up losing a hand and ends up with the silver hand, which I have to imagine is a little bit harder to conceal. But of course, Harry still escapes because the twin cores still happen. And the first thing Harry is going to do upon his return is inform Dumbledore that Voldemort has returned. I said return twice. Normally upon Harry and Cedric's return, Barty Crouch Jr. is able to peel Harry off from the rest of the pack because Dumbledore needs to tend to Cedric's parents. But obviously that won't be the case and Harry will just frantically be trying to tell Dumbledore what happened. Realizing that the middle of a crowded arena is probably not the place to have a discussion about Voldemort's return, Dumbledore will then probably take his crowd of advisors and Harry away. This would include Barty Crouch Jr., who would still be undercover as Mad-Eye Moody, Professor McGonagall, Snape, and Sirius. And Barty Crouch Jr. would find himself in a particularly tricky spot here. Like he obviously couldn't blow his cover and not go with Dumbledore. So he would kind of just have to go along for the ride, which I think he might just want to do anyway because he really wants to know what happened at the graveyard. Normally, this is also true. As soon as Mad-Eye pulls Harry away from the rest of the crowd, he immediately starts grilling him about the events of the night. In particular, I can see Harry getting to this piece of the story when Barty's tell starts to come through. And the Death Eaters, they returned? Yes, said Harry, loads of them. How did he treat them? Moody asked quietly. Did he forgive them? From here, I imagine everyone is no longer staring at Harry, but Mad-Eye, who has a clear hunger in his eyes. And from here, I don't think it would take very much math to figure out who set up the port key in the first place and who is undercover at the school. And as a result, Barty Crouch Jr. will be discovered and apprehended. But the really big question is, how will the Ministry of Magic respond to this news? Sirius earlier in the year would have accused Lucius of being the person who was behind the mask at the Quidditch World Cup. And now you would have Harry sort of parroting that same story. There would be a lot of evidence on the table. And yet, once again, I still don't think that the Ministry of Magic would buy it, which maybe isn't all of that surprising at all when you consider the fact that in the normal story, there's quite literally Cedric's dead body and they still don't believe it. Plus, I think it continues to emphasize this idea that while Sirius has very clearly been proven innocent, people are still seeing him as a criminal, especially Fudge, who already would have been made to look foolish by Sirius's innocence in the first place. And Sirius has already named Lucius earlier in the story. And now it's happening once again. I think Fudge, knowing Fudge, doubles down, or as we like to call it, the double fudge, which makes for a great ice cream and just an absolutely terrible minister for magic. As for Harry and Cho, unfortunately, I do think that Harry will end up breaking up with her under a very similar set of circumstances that he uses for Ginny in year six. It would just simply put her in too much danger. It's sad and unfortunate to see this piece of Harry's happiness be taken away. And I have a very strong feeling that Cedric also probably at this point swoops in and does start dating Cho, creating kind of an interesting love triangle going forward. But I also think it demonstrates the overall impact that Voldemort has on especially Harry and his role in everything. He was right on the cusp of happiness. He had his godfather, his girlfriend. He was the Triwizard Champion. But Voldemort, of course, 
ruins it all. And that is what we believe would happen if Crookshanks had managed to kill Wormtail in year three. In a lot of ways, this particular change to the story seemed like it was gonna create so much happiness for Harry all at once. Maybe Voldemort can't return after all. Harry actually has Sirius, a mentor and a father figure, and Sirius is proven innocent. He can just roam freely. Harry actually gets to have a piece of the normal teenage life. He gets to have a girlfriend and date Cho. Heck, Cedric lives. But as ever, I think that the gravity and inevitability of Voldemort is just simply too great. And quickly we realize that Harry doesn't get to stay with his new godfather after all. Voldemort still finds a way to return and Harry still doesn't get to have that true relationship with Cho. But at this point in the story, I think that we've branched off in so many brand new directions that I think the only way to conclude it would be to create an entirely new ending, which I'm not entirely against, but don't have time for today. In the meantime, welcome to the Crookshanks verse, if you will. Be sure to let us know all of your thoughts about what could happen or what has already happened in the towel section down below. Boom! Guys, let me introduce you to the Super Coffee Box. We now have bundle boxes available over at carlinbrothersmercantile.com packed with everything you need to get your day started. Let's see what all comes inside of our coffee box here. And it's a lot. It's got a nice weight to it. You know, everybody likes a nice weight. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so inside we're gonna have two bags of coffee. We'll have our Nimbus blend and our traditional Carlin Brothers blend. So these guys right here, whole bean coffee inside. Uh, in addition to that, we have a bag of our single flavored beans. Everybody raves about every flavor, but what you gotta, you gotta realize is that the single flavor, that's where it's really at. Uh, we have also got one of the brand new, super soft, super crew neck sweaters. These things have been so great. They do come pre-oversized. So if you're a big fan of the oversized look, just buy your go-to size and it will be the correct size. Or if you buy an even bigger size, it will be an even bigger oversize. And last but certainly not least is going to be one of our broomstick handle candles. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with these candles, there's also a tiny charm inside of it. So as you melt the wax down, it will slowly reveal a collectible charm. They are so much fun. The broomstick handle candle is absolutely my favorite and apparently yours because it's always being sold out. So this is one we're always having to work to keep in stock. So that will be also included inside of every bundle box. These are my sound effects that I'm making for it. And flump. Guys, what we wanted to do was create a really convenient way to get one of everything you want in one spot. Plus, the bundle boxes all come with free shipping as do all orders over $50 over Carlin Brothers Mercantile. Also guys, all of our coffee beans are ethically sourced. All of the proceeds from the Nimbus blend are also going to a nonprofit here in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, we do have a variety of different boxes to choose from and they're a great gift for the coffee or tea lover in your life. So whether you're new to the Carlin Brothers coffee scene and just want to get a feel for all of the products that we have to offer, or if you just want to get all of your favorites in one cozy place with, again, the sweater tucked inside and the candle, uh, be sure to head on over to carlinbrothersmercantile.com and check out our new bundle boxes. Guys, as always, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you would like even more Harry Potter what if action from us, we have literally methodically gone through every single year of Harry's schooling from one to seven, asking what if Harry had been placed in Slytherin. You can check out that entire video right over here, but otherwise, until next time, bye.